Well, today I'm starting the story before the story. If you've ever read a novel, uh, many times there's a prologue and an epilogue. The prologue happens before the story, and then there's a few pages perhaps of what happens after the story, and it's known as the epilogue. Uh, today I'm going to give you first part of a part two prologue before we launch the story. The story is a sermon series that will be 31 different sermons throughout this year in chronological order going through the Word of God. We have available for you the story book, which is the Bible, 80% of the Bible in novel form. It, there's no changing in the story. There's no changing of any kind of information. It is the Bible. What it is, though, is there are little paragraphs and italics that connect one piece of the story to the next, and it's written that way in chronological order. So it all goes from the very beginning in the garden, and it takes you step by step in chronological order through the Bible. The Bible, as you have it right now in Old and New Testament, uh, there are different time periods that are happening when you see in First and Second Chronicles of the Old Testament and Job and, and, and over into Malachi, there's, there's some kind of movement around of the actual history. And this puts it all on one deal. And you may say, 80% of the Bible in the story, I want 100%. Well, that's why you should never get rid of your Bible. You should read your Bible. Uh, but, but many of you, let's be honest, uh, many of us, we have we, like if we read half of the story, that's going to be about you know, 45% more than you've ever read in your life on the Bible. Or if you read 80%, that's going to be about 76% more than you've ever read. So, so a lot of people don't have much understanding of the Bible, and we want to make it as easy as possible this year to really get through the story. So to set it up, to set it up in the right way, I'm giving you a couple of weeks, a prologue towards the story. And to begin, I, I want to share with you a story. Have I ever told you the story about my very first wrestling match? I was five years old. I was in kindergarten. I was ready to take on the beast from SWC, whatever that stands for. And it was a David and Goliath situation. And I conquered Goliath. No, 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 no. Had that been the story, you would have heard the story already. But this story has a different ending. I mean, my parents, I love them to death, but dear Lord, what were they thinking? It looked like I had had like a casual Easter afternoon hunting Easter eggs. <laughs> this is like casual Easter. This guy's all got the singlet and the, you know, the helmet and whatnot. And I'm just in there, you know, in my fake Nikes, my Fikes, I guess. I, I don't know what's going on. That guy crushed me in like 22 seconds. That's why you haven't heard this story. Because nobody likes a kind of a mundane, regular, got defeated story. We want the underdog story. We want the remember the Titans. We want he gets the girl at the end. We, we want that kind of story. And the truth is, and if you're taking notes, here's some thoughts on the back of your worship guide. Maybe write some of these things down. Everyone loves a good story. Rich or poor, young or old, regardless of how you grew up, where you grew up, what language you speak, everyone loves a good story. And the second thought is this. Story is a universal language. Every single culture that exists has a culture of storytelling. 
and they may tell stories through uh, uh, hieroglyphic, uh, hieroglyphics, hieroglyphics, whatever. They may tell story with st- stuff written on stone. Okay, thank you. Uh, they, they, they may be, tell story with, with large totem poles. They may tell story just with their hands. And it's amazing. You can go overseas, and through a certain amount of like gesture, you might even be able to tell a story to someone that doesn't speak your language because story is a universal language. And the third thing is this, God chose to communicate his love for us through his story. And why did he choose a story? Because it's just innate within us. Like we're born wanting to know a story. We're born wanting to know the meaning of life. We get a little older, we want to make sense of stuff. We want to ask the question, why? You know, I don't know about you as a parent, but I know for me, uh, when I was a child and when my children were smaller, they would ask two questions at bedtime, two very critical questions. Number one, can I have a drink of water? Anybody ever had that question asked of a child? And then the second one, after you brought them a, a drink, you know, the second time, thanks, Dad. Will you tell me a story? In fact, I remember on long trips in the Ford Aerostar minivan, I would scoop up and into between the passenger and driver's seat like this, and I'd say, Dad, tell me a story about when you were younger. Tell me a story. We weren't that safe back then, you know. Ah, Seatbelts schmelts, right? But, but, but he would tell me the story about he, how he stood up. He, he was afraid of the bully, and he went home, and he told his mom, my grandma, the story of the bully. She said, if you come home tomorrow, and you haven't fought that bully on the recess playground, you're getting a spanking. <laughs> I tried the same thing, and uh, there it was. <laughs> I, I, he told me stories that, that I even repeated that, that when he got in trouble one time, he put a bunch of squeaky rubber duckies in his pants because his grandmom was going to give him a spanking. And when she spanked him, he went, <laughs> I tried the same thing. My mom was like, it's not going to work. I remember that story. <sighs> Told me stories of how he, how he met my mom and Told me stories about crazy churches because he would travel and, and have to navigate and facilitate conflict in churches. He oversaw and oversees about 170 churches in the state of Kansas. And when things get weird or things get tense, he goes in and facilitates some of the conflict. He would tell me crazy stories about people getting upset with him, like people in the church uh, praising God, singing how great thou art. And then when he'd have to come and manage conflict, uh, he would walk out and people would have spit on his car. Church, church people, like, hello? Like stories, man. Well, God chose to communicate not through a mathematical equation. He didn't just give us a list of, uh, of do's and don'ts and axioms to live by. Uh, he didn't show us the formula for miracles. He, he gives us this story from start to finish, Genesis to Revelation, that is a unified story. And if you don't understand all the pieces and you try and just take one little piece at a time, you won't ever get the full understanding. It's like trying to walk in halfway through a movie at the movie theater. You're not going to get the whole story if you just walk in and you see what's going on. Like you, you, You've got to know the whole Story, And that's what this year is going to be about. The, the Bible is God's story of him to us. Not a story of people trying to get close to God, but a story of God wanting to get close to people. But you know how valuable this, this word is? Uh, you know, we can just download it in a matter of seconds on your phone 
on your iPhone or your Android device, just in a matter of seconds, you can have multiple versions of the Word of God right there in your pocket. It, always, it wasn't always that way, was it? In fact, this used to be, now it's a utility where you can just see it anywhere, but used to be, it was so valuable because you couldn't find it. In fact, not everybody had it. There was a long process through humanity where we didn't have the written word. All we had was stories. In fact, if you look at the the journey to the Bible, you can see that from creation to roughly 1406 B.C., before Christ, for Christ comes on the earth and then time changes. And now our new calendar, 2018, 2018 years since, roughly estimated, since the birth of Christ. So from creation to 1406, whether that be 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, 100,000 years, uh, we, we, we don't quite know all the mysteries of God, but we know God created the earth. And from that point to 1406, the exact timeline, we won't know until heaven. But we do know that there are no scriptures for us just to pick up on our nightstand. All we have was stories relayed to one another. Finally, after 1406, we we see for thousands of years, how did the people of God know the story of God? They told one another. They sat down. It's why in the first part of the book, you can see that Moses uh, in the book of Deuteronomy is saying, sit down with your children. When they, when they have food, when they walk across the street, when it's bedtime, when it's daytime, tell them the things of God because story is important. From there, we get to 1406 to AD 399 in the year of our Lord, almost, almost 400 years after Jesus is on the scene. 1805 years later, or over the course of 1805 years, we have little scrolls, little books that are being discovered, archaeologically found through this process that dated from 1406 all the way to 8399. And those individual scrolls are like the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And we know it in the New Testament as the book of Ephesians. But the book of Ephesians, the letter, the scroll written to the church at Ephesus, Ephesus didn't know about the scroll written to the church at Colossae or the church at Thessalonica. But now we have the recordings of those scrolls and it wasn't until the next year that that we finally get all of those scrolls into one what they call canon of scripture not like a cannonball but the word canon that simply means measuring stick or measuring rod the canon of scripture the measurement of life in those 66 books and the very first one we have that's all together is Jerome's Jeremy's Latin Vulgate that's a joke it's Jerome's Jerome's Latin Vulgate it was the bible written in latin from that point from that point until only a few years before Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue do we finally have the Gutenberg press the german press Gutenberg press that prints the very first book in print form versus copying by manuscript, handwritten manuscripts. So it's not until just about 560-some years ago that we really get the Bible in book form. The Gutenberg Press prints the very first book, and, and since before then, it was storytelling. And now, even now, it's reading the story of God. Now, there are two stories going on in your life. What you know about you and what everybody else is talking about you behind your back. No, that's not the two stories. That's not the two stories. It may be true, but that's not the one I'm talking about today. 
there are two stories going on in your life. There is basically your lower story. And the lower story is basically what you're dealing with on an everyday basis. The twists and turns of life you don't necessarily see around the next bend. You don't know if the road less traveled, that if you choose to take that, where it'll necessarily end you up. But you know that there's been some chaos. There's been some people that you've been with, people that you haven't seen, people that have helped you, people that have hurt you. There is a lower story. You are writing your own story, and God is writing your story along with you. And there's all kinds of things you just don't see because you're in the lower story. There's another story going on in your life and in mine, a story going on in humanity, and it is the upper story. And that's how things look from God's perspective. It's how God sees as the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, as he sees because he was before and he is and he is to come and he knows what's around the bend and he sees everything and he has a plan and a purpose and, 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 and he knows what's happening up here, but we don't see what's happening over here. We just are experiencing what we know down here. And there's an there's a example of a lower and upper story in the Bible known from the guy named Job. Spelled J-O-B, job, but it's Job. And Job, Job is this on the cover of Forbes 500 magazine. He is a businessman. He's successful. Uh, he has got three uh, major companies that are going on, three businesses that he owns. He's got a huge family. And basically, one day, in one day, he gets a pigeon, Drops on right here on his head. He pulls off the little paper. He's like, all three of your businesses have collapsed. You've gone bankrupt. He's like, what? And while he's reading that, another pigeon lands on this shoulder. It's not the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. It's a pigeon. And he pulls out the other letter and he rolls it out. And it's like, all ten of your kids have died in a crazy storm that collapsed a house. What? Then his wife is like blaming it on God and saying, this is God's fault. You need to curse God and die. His three close friends, uh, Larry, Moe, and Curly, I don't, you know, they, 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 they say, this is all your fault. You, you, you need to repent and this and that. And Job has to wrestle with a trust in a God that was good when things were good. And is he going to really trust him? And that's the lower story. But we, in this book, we see both stories going on because the upper story is really what's happening is the enemy, the devil himself, has gone to God. And the story goes out like this, that God's saying, have you tried my servant Job? He is above reproach. This guy knows. And the devil says to God, yeah, he wouldn't serve you if he didn't have his businesses, if he didn't have his kids, if he didn't have all that stuff. And he says, okay, well, let's, let's see. And they investigate the fortitude. They investigate the steadfastness of Job by removing those things. And yet Job is faithful. So the devil comes back to him and says, well, yeah, but he still has his health. If he got his health, you know, then he's going to be okay. So then a few, a couple chapters later, he's got sores and boils and he's sick. I mean, it's like the Bible talks about him having to break a, a pot and, and using like a piece of pot shard and like scraping the boils. Oh, it's a crazy story. You ought to read the Bible. It's, incre it's incredible. Like there's this story that's going on. And so here's what the upper story says. The upper story is basically saying, can you trust me when you don't see me at work the way you want to see me at work? The upper story is, can you still rely on me even when you suffer? Even when you can't make sense of it? 
Even when things don't go the way you planned, your lower story doesn't look the way you want it to look. Can you trust me in the upper story? And the Bible is, is the upper story meeting the lower story and how it all combines together to be a beautiful story for humanity. Now, the goal of the Word of God and the goal of our life is to align my story with God's story. His plan for your life. You know, the Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. When the prophet is speaking those words, um, it's to the nation of Israel that's in slavery, that's in bondage. And we, you know, we need to understand the context of that. But that same God that wanted to deliver those people is the same God that, that maybe you're bound up. Maybe you're dealing with some junk. And he knows the plans he has for you. Plans for a hope and a future, plans to prosper you and not harm you. That's like God's plan. And the goal is to align my story, the lower story, with what God says about me and how I'm to live according to that canon, that measurement of Scripture. The Word of God is not just a book. It's, it's living life direction. It's the breath of God put into written form for us to listen and follow and become like him, aligning our story with God's story. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah 55, the prophet says, God, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's ways are just higher. We don't always get it. We don't always understand it. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus, when he's showing the people how to pray, you and me, a very simple 23-second prayer. It takes you about 23 seconds to pray the Lord's Prayer. What a powerful 23 seconds to start your day. But he says, how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, there's, there's a way of our will on earth that we've got free reign. We've got free will. We can do what we want to do. But there's an upper story. There's an upper plan of, of what he sees for your life, what he sees for Timber Creek Church, what he sees for your family and for the next generation, and what he sees for this country and what he sees for this globe. And what he sees may not always be what you see or maybe even what you want to see or what you want to experience. The, the American dream of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness may not necessarily always be the upper story. Sometimes it's the valley of the shadow of death. But he always can take that upper story and we align our story with his story. He can turn it into something beautiful, something according to his purposes. Very few people know very much about the story of God in us. In fact, I was with 20 pastors with our executive leadership in Florida this last week for a one-day discussion on how to train up the next group of Pentecostal pastors, Assemblies of God, that's our fellowship, it's our denomination, the next group of leaders that will take our churches and lead them, what do they need to have? What kind of character, what kind of competency, what does that look like? And we talked about the number one issue that is facing today's culture and the future cultures. You know what the number one issue? It's not sexuality, it's not, it's not these issues, it's not that issue. You know what the number one issue is biblical illiteracy people just don't know the bible very well i mean the most of the bible they got is because they were watching wwe john cena and they see john three sixteen on a poster in the background that's like their bible or some redneck yells at his wife woman the bible says submit and he has no understanding of what he's even saying you don't even have a clue right 
Oh, Bible says don't judge. And people don't have a clue that, that like, that in and of itself doesn't, like, you don't understand the word of God. There's biblical illiteracy that's plaguing churches. And when you begin to ask people, like, hey, who was Joan of Arc? They say it was Noah's wife, right? No, it wasn't. <laughs> people are illiterate, you know? I got a few more, but I'm not even going to waste the time doing them. But, 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 but very few people know very much about the story of God and us. And so that's why I want to take this year and really, I want you to know the Bible because it's beautiful. Because it's the upper story that connects with your story. And your story matters to God. And because of that, you need to know that his story deeply matters to you. Whether you've ever known that or not, his story matters. It matters deeply. And if you will lean in to the upper story, he's going to change your lower story like you never could even grasp, imagine, think. You couldn't even think it. He's got such a plan for you. So the Bible is really one big story displayed in five acts. If you've ever been like to a Broadway show or back in the day you had some old movies that were so long that there would be like a two-minute musical intermission uh, for you to go get new popcorn or go to the bathroom or do whatever. Some people have said you need an intermission in your sermons, Pastor, because it's just too long. And, and that was my wife. And, and so the, the Bible is not just like two acts like the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's what we think. We think Act 1, Act 2, Old Testament, New Testament. But actually, the story of God is one big story displayed in five acts, five major placements, five major themes throughout the Word of God. And he gives us this seamless story. That's what I want to do. I want you, would you if you would, take your worship guide and turn it around. And there, when we're, we're not filling the blanks, we're filling in circles today. So we're just changing everything up. We're going crazy today. We got some circles, and you are going to give your best Bob Ross impersonation, and a little PBS uh, artist guy that would say, oh, little, little mountains. And, and you're going to give your best Bob Ross in those circles. I'm going to show you a picture, and you're going to write it out, okay? So I'm going to give you five acts, and I'm going to give you some imagery that describes those five acts of one big story of God. The first image would be a, a, a tree. So just make an outline of the tree. Don't fill it in. Don't add any cherries. Don't do anything like that. Just make the outline of a tree, okay? And this act one is the story of the garden. And act one is, is not very long in your Bible. It's actually Genesis chapter one to Genesis chapter 11. But it's through this part of the story that we begin to see God's plan unfold. Now, here's what I've done. I've taken some, some information, and I'm going to read it to you. And later on today, you're not going to do it right now because I'm asking you not to do it right now. And everybody always does exactly what I ask them to do. When I say, hey, please don't move from where you are and when we, you know, at the end of service and people leave. <sighs> So you're going to do exactly what, and you're going, to, you're going to wait till afterwards to download on your iPhone or Android the story app. You're going to do that later, <clears throat> or you're going to do it right now. You're going to do whatever you want to do. I've just learned that, okay? The story of the garden, and basically you can memorize these statements. There's about 300 words that if you could memorize those 300 words, you could basically tell someone the entire story from Genesis to Revelation. Here's what Act 1 is all about. In the upper story, God creates the lower story. His vision is to come down and to, to, and to do life with us in a beautiful garden. It's his vision. To have unhindered relationship with his most valuable treasure, 
you and me. That's the plan. That's his vision. But the first two people, Adam and Eve, they reject God's vision and are escorted from paradise. He gives them all these trees to eat from. He says, you can eat from the trees, and they were good for, they were pleasing to the eye, and they were good, were good for fruit. And, and he says, just this one tree, this one tree out of the hundreds, one tree, stay away from it. And you know what Adam and Eve wanted to do? They wanted to eat the tree that he said not to. And basically what it shows us is they wanted to be the final authority for their life. They didn't want God's word to be the final authority. They felt like they could be the final authority. And since then, we've been wrestling with us wanting to be the final authority. My thoughts, my opinions, my, my, my emotions, my predispositions, my, my thoughts, my comfort. Like that becomes the final authority in our life. And that was the issue in the garden. And so they eat the fruit and they see they're naked. And this is not just to say, whoa, you're naked. It's to show that... They had nothing to even think about. They, they, they were carefree, vulnerable with Jesus, with, with God the Father. And then because of sin, they become aware that their final authority isn't the right authority. The first two people reject God's vision and are escorted from paradise. Their decision introduces sin, which separates us into the human race and keeps us from community with God. At this moment, God gives a promise, though, and launches a plan to get us back, even in Genesis. The moment they're naked, he's walking in the garden, and he's not walking with a belt in his hand, everybody. He's walking in the cool of the garden saying, Adam, Eve, where, where, where are you? And they were hiding from him. And they kind of pop out, you know, they had Martha stewarded some, some loin stuff. And they said, Hey, what's up? He said, who told you you were naked? And you know the next act of God? Yes, there are consequences. Yes, they're escorted out of paradise. But he clothes them now. And he sacrifices an animal. And he takes the skin of the animal and he wraps them with this costly garment. Wraps their nakedness with a costly garment. And it's the shadowing of something had to die to cover us. And later we'll see that the ultimate covering is Jesus. And it doesn't fade away like a skin garment. That sacrifice lasts forever. The rest of the Bible then is God's story of how he kept that promise. And he made it possible for us to enter a loving relationship with him. That's act one. Now go to Act 2. In Act 2, you're going to write in the circle. You're going to do, do this little lampstand. It, it's called a menorah in Jewish culture. And it's basically a stick right down the middle. And then there's three U's. I, I, just, I just made it easy for you. And really, there are different there are candles on each one of those on that candlestick. And uh, if you look really hard, sometimes you can find this in the library with the professor. That was a clue joke, but nobody got it, so it was stupid. Um, but the candlestick, duh, sorry, that was not in first service and should not have been in second. Um, but it's a representation. It, it's, there's imagery in this lampstand, and, and it's in the temple of God, and it's a, there's a ton of imagery I could get into, but I don't have time. And, but this is Act 2, and it's the story of Israel. It's the development of this nation, these people of God, and it's from Genesis 11, to the Italian prophet Malachi. I'm on a roll this morning. <laughs> That's a joke. He's not Italian. He's Jewish. Malachi, not Malachi. 
And in this story, this part two, act two of the whole story of God, we see that God begins to build a brand new nation called Israel. And through this nation, he will reveal his presence, his power, and his plan to get us back. Every story of Israel is not there just to have it. Every story of Israel will point to the first coming of Jesus, the one who will provide the way back to God. Their ups and downs where they were worshiping God, then they were putting a cold, cold shoulder, even putting a finger up in the air to God. Up and down, praise you God, forget you God. The story of Israel, seeing the power and presence in the plan of God, and then abandoning it for their own plan, their own authority, their own story. And from there we see now beginning to unfold after Malachi, after 400 years of quietness, we see the next act, act three. This is the story of Jesus and you can just put the cross right there in the circle representing this part of God's whole story to us. And this is really in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in the gospels we read about Jesus and here's what happens. Jesus leaves the upper story, he leaves heaven, and he comes down into, into our lower story to be with us and to provide the way for us to be made right with God. Because we couldn't make it right on our own. We tried and we tried and we tried. And we did this and we did that and we sacrificed this and we did that and we followed these rules and these regulations. And in fact, God even put into place all these laws that the Israelites had to follow as a nation. But he was doing it because he had a bigger story. The story wasn't the law. The story is he was pointing them to, you can't do enough on your own. It's not about what you could ever do. It's about what I'm going to do by sending my one and only son. And so Jesus becomes the that next act of the story. Jesus leaves the upper story to be made. He, he comes and provides a way for us to be made right with God. And through faith in Christ's work on the cross, not what you could do, but what he has done, we can now overturn Adam's choice and have a personal relationship with God like he was walking with us in the garden. Except through his spirit, we have that relationship right here. He's with you. When you invite him in, the spirit of Jesus resonates with you, lives with you, connects your spirit with his spirit. When you ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior, that's a supernatural moment. Your soul has been crying out for, for direction. And we try and find it in all sorts of things. But when our soul cries out and we find Jesus, it's really where our story connects with his story. Now, I had mentioned there, every story begins to point to Jesus. Every story begins to point to this whole story in the nation of Israel. Well, let me show you something. In the nation of Israel, there were all these holidays and special moments where they had to celebrate in order to remember. It's why we get a birthday cake out and we put some candles in it and we sing happy birthday. It's because we want to celebrate that moment. We want to remember. It's why we get a card on our anniversary or why you should have gotten that card on your anniversary. And it's, like, it's just to remind us. And so God, in his infinite wisdom, he gives them not only the commandments and everything, but he gives them these celebrations to do every single year to remember what God had done. And then they use those holidays, those special celebration moments, to tell their children and their children's children the story of what God did. So one of the stories is Passover, where God provides a way to exodus the people of Israel out of Egypt. 
And this whole Passover is where they sacrificed a lamb and they painted the doorposts of their door in Egypt and they covered their doors. And then when an angel went over, passed over the houses, those that had no covering over their house, the firstborn child died. What, What a hard deal. What a hard deal. God knew how hard it was. He was about ready to offer his own son, his one and only. It was a hard situation. But then those that covered their doorposts with the sacrificed lamb, they were spared. And then Pharaoh released them, and they were able to go through the Red Sea and begin their journey. Passover is a celebration that, that runs in tandem with Easter because it was Passover meal was the last supper of Jesus right before he's crucified, right before he's the lamb that is slain and his blood is shed for the forgiveness of sin, like the lamb was poured out and covered the doorposts of people's heart. It's this symbolism of something else. The Bible says like like this, the, the apostle Paul says, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. What he's saying is there were some people that wanted to accept Christ as their Savior, but they also said, well, you also got to be circumcised. We, we had that in starting point for a few years where on week five, we, we, we cut that down to week four. We cut that down to week four. Could you imagine? Hey, everybody, thanks for joining the church and getting to the dream team. Tonight, right after service, we're going to meet you in the back. All you men, all you ladies, you're all good. And all the men will be like, I ain't, I ain't going to that church again, you know. I'm going to the other one down the street. There's a shadow of the things that were coming. They were wanting to add circumcision in. They were wanting to add in, well, yes, you can serve Jesus, but you also have to follow all these rules and regulations of the Old Testament. And you, can't wear, you can't wear certain kind of clothing. You have to do it a certain way. And Paul's saying, no. All those things were important, but they were just shadows to show us that we really find Christ. When we find Christ, we know how to live. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 5 says, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. He didn't go to wipe away all that we can learn from that story. Because those act 1 and act 2 are just as much a part of the story as act 3, 4, and 5. But he's saying, I came and I fulfilled all of that. So if you follow me, you're fulfilling that because you've got me. It's not about having the, the feast. It's not having the meal. It's not how the, the regulations of A, B, C, and D. It's about having me and following me and what I've done on the cross. So I've come to abolish, not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. So let me show you one feast, one feast that takes place in the Old Testament, and then something happens in the New Testament, and it's the shadow, and it's in the feast of Pentecost. Now, don't get freaked out by the word Pentecost. Believe it or not, you may not even know this. We're a Pentecostal church. You know why we're a Pentecostal church? Not because we wear certain clothes or we do certain things or we, or we, we act a certain way. It's because we believe the Spirit of God is available to speak clearly the message of Christ to a culture through the chaos. And that he empowers believers with gifts of the Spirit that we can eagerly and excitingly and clearly communicate the message of Jesus to a lost and dying and hopeless world. That's what it's about. It's not about goosebumps and Holy Ghost parties. It's about being equipped to do what God's called us to do. That's real Pentecost. But the Feast of Pentecost, the simple feast that they were to celebrate was just celebrating 50 days. Pente means 50. And it was 50 days after the Passover. So they had Passover feast, and then 50 days later they'd have another five or six day holiday and it was called the feast of 
Pentecost. It was a holiday of Pentecost. And during that, they remember, the Israelites would remember, in the Old Testament, they would remember how Moses got the Ten Commandments 50 days after that angel swooped over Israel and they were exodused. 50 days later, he receives the Ten Commandments and Israel is much more than just a group of slaves. They now become a nation governed by ten specific laws, the Ten Commandments. So now look at the similarity between what happens not just then in the Old Testament of that Feast of Pentecost, but then when you begin to read the New Testament, after Jesus ascends into heaven on the day of Pentecost, the church is birthed. And what does this look like? Well, in the Old Testament, when Moses was on that mountain, he was on that mountain for 40 days going up to visit with God to get those tablets of stone. But in the New Testament, during them celebrating the Feast of Pentecost, Jesus was with the disciples 40 days after the resurrection. And then up to that 50th day, we see the, the disciples waiting on the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, when Moses is up on the mountain, a cloud descends. The Bible says a cloud descends with noise and with fire. There was a change in the atmosphere. And in the New Testament, when we read that the Holy Spirit comes during the Feast of Pentecost, the Spirit descends in a mighty rushing wind, and there's like fire, tongues of fire setting. There's similarities, shadows of what was happening in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God writes then with his finger, he writes law on the tablets of stone. But we understand in the New Testament that when the Holy Spirit is inside of us and given that gift of the Spirit, that the Spirit begins to write the law on our hearts. It's more of a thing that works on its inside out, not on not outside working its way in. In the Old Testament, the people couldn't wait for Moses. So, you know, he was up there 40 days, and on the 50th day, he's going to come down with the tablets. In the meantime, they're like, man, we're kind of bored out here in the desert. Moses probably got stung by some kind of poisonous scorpion. Let's just do our own thing. So they go to Aaron, his second in command. They say, Aaron, we got an idea. Until Moses comes back, we want to do our own thing. We want to make our own God. We want to eat of the tree of whatever we want to eat of, basically is what they're saying. We want to be the final authority of our life. We don't want to wait on God. We want to wait on us. And so they take all their earrings and their gold and their Rolexes and they put it in the fire and they melt it down. They create this gold calf and they begin to have this huge party orgy of this party in front of this golden calf as an idol. And as Moses is coming down off of the mountain, he comes across this scene of them celebrating and worshiping a false idol. They are about ready to learn that the very first law that God wrote with his finger on stone was don't have any other gods before for me like how could you, you just come 49 day, you know one day earlier maybe they wouldn't have made the calf and I love how Moses says Aaron what are you doing and he sounds like my second grader you know when you know, he sounds like my third grader he said Aaron says well we, we threw a bunch of gold in the fire and out popped this calf <laughs> it's like you know what'd you do I don't know I got the scissors out and my hair was cut I don't know what to tell you <laughs> that's what happens the people, they couldn't wait for Moses, but here's the difference in the New Testament. You see the shadow. They waited. The 120 were waiting for the Holy Spirit, and they didn't turn to their own devices. They were willing to follow Jesus and wait for what he had promised him. There was a story unraveling here. In the Old Testament, when that happens and, and, and Moses brings down those tablets, there's judgment, and it's ugly. It's It's ugly. But in that camp, 3,000 people are cut down. 3,000 people are killed in that camp. You can read the story. 
But on the day of Pentecost, when they're celebrating, what they would be celebrating, all this imagery, they accept the, the message of Christ and 3,000 people accept Christ that day on the day of Pentecost. Almost as if God was saying there's more to the story. That, that what, we were in a deficit with 3,000 people that couldn't follow, couldn't wait, didn't understand, and I'm bringing everything. I'm balancing the books. I'm balancing the books. And it's a clean slate now. So in the desert there, God established the nation of Israel. But in the New Testament on the day of Pentecost, God establishes the church. And that is Act 4. In Act 4, you can just simply... Right, it's what's known as the ichthus. The ichthus, what that word means, it's, it's an acrostic. I-C-T-H-U-S, it's an acrostic in Greek that represents, basically, Jesus is God and he came down to earth and is the way to God. It's, it's as simple as it can be said. The Greek, that's a symbol for ichthus or the story of Jesus. And it's act for the story of the church. And that takes place in your Bible from the book of Acts to Jude. Those several books right there from Acts to Jude. And here's what this, here's the summary of this. Everyone who comes into a relationship with God through faith in Christ, they then belong to the new community God is building called the church. It's not just a nation that he's building. He's not building a nation. He's building a community of faith that transcends national pride, transcends geographical location and blood. It's the community of faith that the banner is not a flag. The banner is love. The banner is Jesus. And the church is now commissioned to be the presence of Christ, the body of Christ in the lower story, telling his story by the way we live and the words we speak. The con conduct, convictions, and character of Christ, we begin to carry that because we're the body of Christ. Every story of the church points people to the second coming of Christ when he will return to restore God's original vision. And that's where we come to story act five. And now you can take that same tree and design that tree, but then fill it in because it's, it's the representation of fulfillment. The fifth act, the final act, is the story of the new garden. A new heaven, a new earth, where the upper story and lower story finally collide, and it's the ultimate finale story for eternity, where God comes again, Jesus, the second coming of Christ. And here's how we summarize this. God will one day create a new earth and a new garden. And once again, come down to be with us. In fact, before he promises the gift of the Holy Spirit, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I come again, I'll receive you to myself that where I am, you can be also. I'm so glad he's the one preparing it. So many people live their life like you're the one preparing it. Like you do a certain amount of things, you don't do things, or this, you say this or you don't do that, like you're preparing a place for yourself. But you don't prepare it, he prepares it. Thank you, Jesus, that he prepares the place. And it's all about him. It's not what you could ever do or you could ever prepare. You know, once again, come down to be with us. And all who have placed their faith in Christ in this life will be eternal residents in the life to come. It's the only guarantee of eternity with him. Listen, sin still separates us from God. And if you want to live in your lower story separated from God, he will let you live in eternity separated from God. The way you live your life 
deciding who Jesus is here will make the decision of who Jesus is in eternity. You'll bow your knee whether you like it or not. He'll be Jesus whether you like it or not, but he's not going to force you to live with him here, and he won't force you to live with him there. It's your choice, and the story is still being written. The only guarantee of eternity with Jesus in the new garden, in the new heavens and new earth, the only guarantee is for those who have placed their faith in Christ. And I've been talking about the theme for this year is glad surrender and trustful obedience. If you lean into a surrender, you don't understand all that's going on in your life. You can't explain everything. I can't explain why bad things happen to good people, why things happen to you, and why God didn't stop it. I know it. It's happened in my own family. Wounds that you have experienced, you can't explain it because this lower story has taken a detour. And it's like, it's like, it, it is like a gar, it's like a trash fire. You're dealing with the fumes and the, the ash and you're saying, what is going on? And I want to tell you, lean into God with surrender. He can change, he can change your story because he sees more than you see. The story is still being written in Act 4. You're part of Act 4, the church. We don't know when the Act 5 will unleash. Nobody knows except the Father. But in the meantime, it's our responsibility to just surrender our life to Him, trust Him, obey Him, and anticipate that He's still writing His story through us. I want to conclude with this little illustration you, you guys ever seen the um, Where's Waldo books? I love Where's Waldo books. Like I, 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 my kids, they were, they were into them for a while. We, I'd love looking for Waldo. I'd also get mad looking for Waldo. Where are you, Waldo? Basically, Where's Waldo looks a little bit like this. I think we have a bigger picture of it. And somewhere in here in the red and white striped sweater is Waldo. He's in there somewhere. But where is he? Where's Where's Waldo? Now, when you have a 27-foot screen, it, you can cheat a little bit. Makes it a little easier, okay? <laughs> but if you haven't found Waldo yet, I'm going to give you a hint. There. There you go. There's Waldo right there in the corner. And this is a Christian version. I saw this from another church. It's a Christian version of Where's Waldo. Because if you take it one more closer, guys... He's, he's actually holding fish and bread. <laughs> like, like, he's the kid. He's the kid that brings the fish and the loaves to Jesus. It's Waldo. You didn't even know it. <laughs> Back to the big picture, please, guys. Now, lean in, everybody, as I conclude. Some of you, all, all you can see is the crowd and the chaos of life. And it's hard to find Jesus in all the confusion. It's hard to see Jesus, especially if you don't know exactly what to look for. But I want to say something to you. If you will follow me, if you'll follow this church body and you will begin to get into the story, you'll see Jesus. And the next time you feel the crowd and the chaos and the confusion, because you were able to see Jesus in the crowd and the confusion over here, it makes your eye begin to tune in to where Jesus is in the middle of the chaos. 
And the more you can see him through the chaos of the story of God, the more you see him in the everyday things. Talking with someone out in the lobby just this morning about, uh, it's kind of a new thing. We raised our kids. We got grandkids. But right now we've got a, a grandchild with us. And boy, there's just the, the motherly feeling of this and the, all the emotions involved with that. And, you know, there's, there's chaos there. The more we see Jesus in the past and the more we follow Jesus and what happened, the more we can say, okay, okay, I remember what it's like to feel this way. And I remember Jesus was right there in the middle of the storm, right there in the middle of the questions, right there in the middle of the chaos. Lean into Jesus. It may feel like he hides himself in this story. But if you really begin to search for him, you find he's easy to see. He's so much easier to see. Let's let's pray. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I make this opportunity every single Sunday. Maybe you're here and you are living in the chaos and the confusion. You've been trying to be your final authority, your own God. You would never say it that way, but the truth is when he's not God of all, he's not God at all really. But if you're here today and you say, I I need to ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, to guide me, to lead me. I I want him to take my story and make it because my story isn't complete without him, and I recognize that. If you're here today and you'd like me to pray a prayer over you, guide you in a prayer of making Jesus the center of your life, the Lord and Savior of your life, if that's you, you said, Pastor, include me in a prayer. I want to pray that too. I want... I want Jesus to be the center of my life. For the first time or the first time in a long time, if that's you, without hesitation, raise a hand right up in the air. Raise a hand right up. I want Jesus to be the center of my life. Thank you, thank you. I'm just looking across the room. Just keep your hand up. Nobody else is looking around. God saw your heart way before I saw your hand. So you don't have to raise a hand, but if you want me to include you in a prayer and you want to just raise that hand, okay, you can put your hands down. Whether you raise the hand or not, if your heart's right, that's what's important. And in your own words, you just simply say, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. And I want you to change my story. I don't want to be the final authority for my life. I don't make a good savior for myself. I invite you to be the Lord and savior of my life. Jesus, thank you for not being mad at me, but for giving me this moment to make things right with you. I confess with my mouth, your Lord I believe in my heart you are who you say you are through your story, through the Bible. And I don't have it all figured out, and I don't have everything all all aligned, but I declare today I want to follow you. And I invite you to lead me and guide me in my next steps as I surrender and trust you. In Jesus' name. With your eyes closed and heads still bowed, you know, maybe you're here and... You know someone whose life is in chaos mode. Their lower story is like uh, there's a wheel in, in, in the gutter. Can you think of somebody? If you have a name of somebody or a friend, a relative, associate, neighbor, that their lower story, just boy, if they could just find God's story. If you have a friend or a relative, associate, neighbor like that, would you just raise a hand? I want to pray over them today. And boy, that's a whole lot of hands. Father, in Jesus' name, may your story connect with their story, that they would know it's not the end of the story. 
but that when they connect with you, you rewrite history. You change it. You use it. You guide them through the valley of the shadow of death. And so, God, may we never get so comfortable with our story that we forget that others are, are, are needing your story too. And God, if we've been in a detour, we've been hitting the bump in the road, we've gone off track, we've got a wheel of the cart in the gutter. God, we completely surrender to you today. Get us back on track and we'll trust you as you continue to write our story and connect it with yours. We ask it in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. Everybody said amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? And I know somebody just gave their life to Jesus Christ, and that's one of the most amazing things, the most amazing decisions you could ever make in your life. Come on. If that was you, maybe you didn't raise your hand and you wanted to, on the back or on the front of the connect card right in front of you, there's a little red part. We want to know if you made that decision today. We want to know that you decided to give your life to Jesus Christ or recommit your life to Jesus. And if you wouldn't mind filling that out, we want to help you take next steps. And here's just a couple quick ones for you. And if you just check these out, it's not too much longer. But the number one thing we've got coming up is next Sunday. Everybody say next Sunday. Yeah, it's the Super Bowl, whatever. Nobody cares about the Super Bowl. What I care about is next week, people are going to go all in. They're going to go public with their faith, and they're going to be baptized in both services next Sunday. Come on. Come on. It's one of my favorite Sundays of the month. And so next Sunday, we're challenging. Dude, if you, if you want to go public and if you want to have that symbol and let the whole world know you're all in, dude, you can sign up right out in the, in the, the foyer in the lobby and you can sign up today right after service. You can sign up online. You can call up here at the church. We want it to happen. We want to be there to help you take that next step. Another cool thing is starting point. We love starting point, right? And it's the end of the month, so that means next week it's starting back at it. And if you want to take your next step, it's like the way to get to know what's going on at the church, how you can get plugged in. It's awesome. You need to take that next step. Another really great thing you can sign up for in the lobby on your way out is a you can jump into Grow Track Part 1. And so that's helping you take that next step and digging deeper. You saw about it on the video there. Make sure, make sure. If that's you, if you feel that and it's, it's tugging at you, jump on it. And then one last thing. Next Sunday, we've also got something called the Super Bowl. All right? A little play, a little pun on the words there. But check this out. We're challenging everybody in this church to bring a brand new pair of shoes for kids from birth to 18 years old. That's a lot of sizes right there. But we're challenging you to bring a pair of shoes. You bring it into the lobby. And here's what's cool. We'll have two different tables, one for the Eagles and one for the Patriots. And if whatever team you're going for, you bring those shoes there. And those shoes go to a kid in need right? Think about this cold weather we've been having. Dude, we're trying to put some shoes on some kids that need them, all right? Make sure you do it. We're going to remind you on social media, but we want to challenge you with that. And before we go, I want to pray over you. Dear Jesus, we're so thankful for who you are. And God, I pray that over the next few weeks, your story would change our lives. Your story would change our hearts. And we'd be challenged to live a life like never before. God, to take next steps and follow the God-given potential placed in us. God, we believe you. Bless these people. Take care of them. And I pray that that lunch would be incredible today. We love you. We praise you. And everybody said... Amen. We'll see you next Sunday.